0: Hi, and welcome to Designer vs Developer with me, Mustafa, design advocate at Google. This week, we're speaking to Rowan Merriwood about payments on the web and the UX required for that. What I've noticed with um, payments in e-commerce, there seems to be a challenge between developer interests and uh, business interests and where they meet in the middle. Developers want to use the most latest tech but have problems convincing business of so why to use it. So you know, where it's offline patterns or whatnot. Um, what do you feel about the sort of where business and art interests meet, as it were? Yeah, I think it's a key thing. So
1: developers do get excited about doing code and about solving these complicated technical problems. And it can be a challenge to actually make sure that that translates into something that is going to help the business make money in the the end as well. So something I've really been trying to focus on is, is helping developers with that communication step. So how do you take the technical stuff that you want to do and actually frame it in a sense where you can kind of say, this is going to affect our bottom line like this is going to make more money for us this is going to increase conversion or this is going to drive repeat visitors to the site so yeah kind of looking at things where it's like don't get super wrapped up in this amazing technical implementation but actually turn it into something that is going to help get you paid
0: yeah so I mean is there any like techniques which uh, developers really want to push for but don't necessarily make sense from a Business UX point of view, because I can see like having large images is there's a downside to it. But in in the context of people who often uploading stuff, adding products to e-commerce sites, they're not technical people necessarily. They're just mm. getting on with their job. So how do you create a situation where uh, performance becomes like a business interesting? And how do developers convince business that this is? Uh, an important thing rather than this is just the coolest latest fad.
1: I think we've been pretty good with pushing the message of
0: performance has an impact
1: on your bottom line. You know, there are loads of metrics out there that we've shown people like multiple times that you know if you make people wait more than three seconds, you're going to lose 53% of your audience. Um, Amazon did the one where they were showing for like each microsecond that you were waiting, you were losing a percentage of people away from the site, yeah. which is really nice, but it's it's a very blunt tool, right? Um, Performance cannot just be applied as this kind of one size fits all to every single solution. A lot of it's about getting developers thinking in a more nuanced way about the problem that they're actually solving with performance and whether they're making a lasting solution as well. So where you're talking about images, we've seen this a couple of times where like developers will put the work in to fix the site as it currently is. So they'll go through them, make sure that the images are optimized, that they've got you know multiple versions hosted for appropriate devices and so yeah. on. But then as soon as the next sale rolls around, like Black Friday comes in, suddenly it's like panic stations so everybody just uploads all of the like raw catalog images again. And it all just goes back to the way it was. So the key thing there is like it's not about getting those results right now it's about how you actually work that into the process so some of those that we've been sort of thinking about is for example if you're a site that's like a classified style one like um well like either eBay or or a sort of Pinterest style thing then when you're uploading images you're probably already doing some processing at yeah. that point like you want to strip out the geo data from it so that it's not like telling the internet where i live yeah those are the points where you should be looking at, okay, in there can we actually put the image processing in so that we're also creating the optimized versions, and that we include some kind of sign-off flow so that you know product and marketing can actually take a look at those images and go, yeah, we're happy that the optimizations haven't actually affected the quality yeah. levels that we care about.
0: So there's any tools that um, sort of teams can actually use to implement to basically because it's it's not just about creating a great e-commerce site, but it's creating a process and a tool set for the people who are actually working on the back end side of stuff, or like just content mm. management. Is there anything that developers can actually look at?
1: I think that's probably the challenge here is that it's actually it's pretty straightforward to do the one-off optimizations. And we can give you like a tool where we can say, hey, this works like this. Just like just go ahead, run it and go. But building it into your process is a harder task. So there's not necessarily kind of like, hey, your business, yeah, can do this. It is one of the reasons that we're, we're starting to do more things like talk with CMSs like Drupal, WordPress, Magento, and so on, to kind of say, hey, can we actually look at where these things would fit in? Like, Is there a plugin that can be used? So that's normally the, the technique I suggest is like take a look at who's common to what you're doing already yeah. and try and steal the good ideas from them to yeah. get something it's
0: like it. contextual to their um, their process rather than trying to, you know, somehow cack in optim or whatever tool into Yeah, it. yeah. And it's
1: it that's like a common problem that we sometimes run into is like I'll I'll espouse like, hey, this is all really good advice. And people people want a single right answer. They just they kind of say, it's like, hey, what framework should we use? Or what library should you, we use? The answer is always, right, it, it depends. depends. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, everyone wants the answer. It's like, what's the meaning of life? So I mean, we're talking about performance, but there's also offline. And this offline is, um, and the UX of offline is something I've been pushing, uh, but one of the things Is that we've had to be honest with uh, some of the people that we've been working with. Okay, offline is great, it's brilliant, but it's not the one bullet, and it doesn't fix everyone's problem. And maybe there are cases where offline doesn't actually apply or work. But it's the new shiny thing. And I think developers also have the same challenge of, all right, how do you convince businesses that offline is the way forward? Like, what's the metric that you're using? Because we spoke about this before. It's like the one metric is sales for e-commerce sites. But how do you Mm. actually um, translate offline stuff in that sense? Like, is is it worth doing offline? For everyone, I mean, I think it, it depends on the business again, because that's who the people who have often sign off and are not technical. And yeah. So, what do you think about? Yeah, that?
1: I, I think it's one of those ones where I wish we could have gone back and stopped ourselves from using the term offline first, because it really set the whole discussion as this kind of view of it as a binary state, right? You're online or you're offline, and it also made people think about it in terms of the feature again, rather than the problem that they were solving with it. So what I would really suggest is that you're not thinking about offline. You're going through each stage in like your, your funnel or your path to purchase, and you're thinking about how you can change that positively by weaving in aspects of like resilience to network connections or, or total offline, because there's a tendency when you demo stuff like this to switch your phone into airplane mode so you can say, hey, I'm offline now. But in real life, that doesn't actually happen. Most of the time, it's like you're going into the tube or you've just popped into a lift. So in places like that, some of the key things I focus on are either making it so that the user doesn't notice that their connection has been interrupted. So those are things like if I'm adding to my basket, that's an action where if it doesn't go through to the server, you can actually capture that and just wait until you have a reliable connection, like either looking at the network information or just pulling like a little heartbeat with your server. And in those situations, that's great because it's not like a high risk operation. I, I don't have to do too much conflict resolution when yeah. I come back online. It's like it's in my basket or it's not. If it's not, that's not the end of the world Absolutely. either. Then the other ones are actually like intentional offline. And for things like that, I consider that to be stuff like, if I've saved a shopping list, then you know what? I'm on the Tube home. I might actually want to check that shopping list to see like, oh yeah, did I add the eggs to that? Yeah. Or I'm looking through my order history. Those are great candidates for saving like onto your device because your order history doesn't change. And it's something that you might actually want to refer back to yeah, if like you yeah, like you're kind of trying to work out. It's like, ah, oh, did I buy my friend socks for their birthday last year? It's yeah. like, oh well, I can just hop in, like, and I can check. And it's one of those ones where your that then allows you to sell it not just in terms of like the robustness, but also in terms of performance. Because like, if it's offline, it's just available like, instantly, instantly yeah. as soon as you get it. I think one of my favorite ones there uh, for the robustness story is the Trivago yeah. one. They implemented like a really simple offline fallback page. So whenever your connection doesn't go through, they just show you this error page. Well, error page is a, a sort of unfair name for it. It's yeah. actually like a little JavaScript game, like one of those marble rolling ones through yeah. a maze. And when I first saw it, I was kind of like, mm, this is a developer's Friday afternoon project where they've kind of had some fun and put like, this novelty thing up there. But what I came to appreciate when they shared the figures is that actually, it's keeping people in the journey. So when someone previously, when someone would lose their connection or a request would fail, they'd just drop out. But now what happens is they see this branded Trivago experience and a message telling them that, hey, your connection's down, but we're going to try again in a little bit. And it means that actually they were seeing way less people fall out of their funnel. And it's it's just one of these things where just having that branding in there, it's small and it's simple, but the effect that it has is just so much more significant.
0: Yeah, it's like delightful UX experiences that keeps the person engaged and just reassures mm. them. Because I think that's the big thing with UX is that you want to make sure that you're reassuring the user that something is going on. The worst thing is like the screen going like the dinosaur, or a complete blank gray. Because although those things can be fun in some in some contexts, it's just you want to make sure that the user is reassured that something is going on. Like when you're dealing with people's credit cards and money, especially with e-commerce, you have to make sure that, yeah, don't worry, everything's fine you'll be okay, because people will panic, especially when it comes to money, and they will switch off. I think one challenge that designers have is states. Because like, I've always looked at it or like, when you're producing mocks to, for a developer, it's like, this is the offline state, this mm. is the online state. Uh, but I don't know, do you think that's a good way of thinking? I mean, like you mentioned Trivago's error, error state, but that's not really an error state as we would perceive it. Like an error state would be like, red box, eh, eh, something's wrong, something yeah. bad's going on.
1: It's definitely too easy to fall into that kind of like you have a word, like offline. So you're kind of, oh, I'm just always going to use that. And state diagrams are very pleasing to draw. So you're kind of like, hey, I can draw a state diagram. It looks really professional. I've probably solved this problem. So I guess this is one of those things where it's kind of like, you know what? The main reason I did this was so that I could be the person on the show who said the name of the show, but it's not. It's going to be designer and developer yeah. here, because this is one of those things where you do have a state diagram, but it's not these like very discrete states where you're staying there for a couple minutes. It really is the kind of offline is something that you might just like bounce in and out of. And and that's why I think the, the design of that experience really needs to make it clear of Is the network state something you need to tell the user about right now? Or is it something that you're just able to hide? So the experiences we talked about of like add to basket, that's something where I don't need to tell the user about the network state. I just make sure that their experience continues regardless. But the other one is kind of like, hey, did you want to save this shopping list for offline use? Then that's one where you do actually want to give some feedback to the user of like, hey, yes, I've saved this. This is available when you're offline. So that if I do know, like, hey, I'm going to train out in the middle of nowhere and I definitely have no signal, but I can still go to this page and I know that I can get this content reliably.
0: So sometimes uh, designers and developers, we like to express the actual module that we're designing to the user. So we say, uh, I, this is the offline state. Hello, user. This is offline. But doesn't necessarily that doesn't necessarily translate well. Like, does the user need to know that? In some contexts, they might do so. Like if it's a music app, they need to know uh, that they may be going offline, mm-hmm. or, that, or they should prepare. Like if you if the app is synced with their calendar, so they know if they're going on holiday or whatever. But do we always need to express literally? I mean, I see developers often when they're coding up something, they'll do like. They're designing the interface in the same way, expressing exactly what they're coding. So if, the, if there's a function that says whatever, they'll say, well, okay, this is the error message. But like you said with Trivago, it is technically an error message, but it's not as you would perceive it to be an error message.
1: Yeah. Um, I think. I think you're absolutely right there and like when you've done something complicated you want people to know about it even though it's one of those things where really like if you put all the work in no one should realize anything actually happened at all so that's that's why I really try and look at it in terms of like what's the business problem that you're solving and what are the user's expectations so if we're talking about something like add to basket add to basket or add to favorites then the the business problem is we need people to add something to the basket And the user expectation is, when I press that button, it should be added to my basket. In that discussion, like in those requirements, offline or online hasn't come into that at all. All it is is, I should press the button, the thing should go into my basket. And that means that you should be putting the work in behind the scenes to make sure that you can do that. And the only time you need to tell the user about it is if something's gone so wrong that you can't recover from it.